If you were here last week, we had a pretty fantastic service where we had everyone in, kids included, and we led by Miriam Fisher from Laidlaw College, led us in a great time reflecting on God as the good shepherd and us as the sheep. But this morning, I'm gonna, I want to bring a message around Jesus' baptism, that as I reflected on our theme for the year, this year we've, we've been around this place, we've been talking a lot around this idea of formation, that we want to be people who are formed in the image and likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That this is the focus for our year, that there are various ways we've talked about this, how we want to go about this. We kind of started this year with this overarching series of rhythms of life, that there are habits, there are practices that we can do each day, each week, that as we practice these things, we open ourselves up to receive God's grace and be transformed. So those practices are that we would be, be a people who would pray each day, pray once a day, that would be a people who bless someone in a meaningful way once a week, that would be a people who notice God speaking through his word each day to us. And that finally, that we would practice Sabbath delight through resting once a week. That these would be some of the practices that as we do this, we have the opportunity to encounter God's grace in our lives and be transformed. And then most recently, we looked at Centered Series, look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Again, looking we want to be, be a people whose eyes are focused on the person of Jesus and who he is and can be in our lives. And this morning, I want to bring, I think, a message that I felt kind of ties in with this and bring something we've, I felt like actually we need alongside this. And this is Jesus' experience when he was baptized. I think in his baptism, we see something of firstly who Jesus is. His baptism affirms and confirms him as the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who comes to save. But also actually his encounter and filling with the Holy Spirit is something that I think we can learn from. So if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I'll invite you to open up in Luke chapter 3, starting from verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Malki. And then it goes through this genealogy of Jesus that I'm not going to read this morning, but kind of links both. Okay, let's do this. Okay, we'll do this. We'll do this. The son of Janai, the son of Joseph. But it goes through and it lists all these key people in Jesus' lineage that it mentions there's Judah, there's Joseph, David's mentioned. Jacob's mentioned, Isaac's mentioned, Abraham, Noah, all the way back to Jesus tracks his lineage in this back to Adam, and finally, son of Adam, son of God. And then to finish, chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, out of this, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
God. So kind of leading up to the story, we get, in Luke's narrative, we get Jesus' birth, and then we get this moment with John in the desert where John's saying, I'm preparing the way for the coming Messiah, the one who is going to save us. He is coming. And then right on this, we get Jesus and his baptism. This moment that is a bit full of a bit more glory than Zaya's maybe baptism story. <laughs> but this moment where Jesus is baptized and is filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I was reflecting on this week and reading a lot of authors around this, one thing that they drew out, which is really important, which I think ties into how we are practicing our faith here, is that if you bring up the passage, the opening verses in 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. It just kind of mentions it. And it says, as he was praying, heaven was opened. And that actually through Luke's gospel, this kind of Jesus was praying and then something happened is a bit of a common theme. Like Jesus' prayer life is this common theme through Luke's gospel that when Jesus prays, stuff happens. When Jesus prays, there's some, like this is something that's important for Jesus. So maybe it should be important for his followers. We get this moment where he prays and heaven is opened. This is the kind of encounter you can imagine later in Luke 11 where Jesus prays and his disciples ask him, can you teach us to pray? This is probably the stories they're thinking back to. We want the guy who he prays and heaven opens. He's the one who should be our teacher on prayer. Let's go to him. He's probably the one who's got the good stuff. So here we see Jesus' ministry. Jesus starts with him in prayer. Even as being baptized, he is praying. And you get this moment where this dove descends. The Holy Spirit comes as a dove. And I think this is important as I read this because the dove here, it talks this physical thing. That as we encounter this Holy Spirit, as Jesus encounters this Holy Spirit, it's not just like this feeling, this subjective experience of like I prayed and something felt good. It's this actual encounter it's this object of reality of something came and changed Jesus. And when we have encounters with the Holy Spirit, it's not just about feelings or even thinking. It's about we are encountering a living God in that moment. That's what we're entering into. This is more than subjective experience. And that's what happens through Scripture when the Holy Spirit comes. And here we see Jesus acting in this triune Trinity God relationship, this beautiful moment where we see God in all his fullness, that Jesus as God is praying, hearing from the Father and filled with the Holy Spirit, that this invitation that as we are followers of Christ, that's what we're entering into. We're not just kind of praying up into this abyss. We're entering into this relationship with Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're entering into. That actually... There's this gift that we can receive of the Holy Spirit. And this is the way that we become more like the image of Christ. It's not about like doing these practices to earn our way to God. It's God gives this gift of the Holy Spirit who comes and gives us power to do it, who transforms us. And the first way that he does this with Jesus, the first way that Jesus is encountered here by God is by the Father who says these words, you are my son whom I love, 
with you I am well pleased. These words that for any of us, if we heard these from a parent, from a grandparent, from someone we look up to, would touch us. I think in the core of our being, these are deeply, profoundly like impactful words. You are my child, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. And as Jesus is about to start his ministry, these are the words that are spoken over him. By God the Father, I love you, you are my son, I'm pleased with you. And I think there is something, as we are in Christ, we can claim something of those words over ourselves. And these words aren't just deeply personal, deeply speaking to the heart, but they actually reflect something bigger as well. They, they have echoes through Old Testament passages where God, through the scriptures, speaks these words that kind of get referenced here. The first, one of the times that happens is in Psalm 2, where the psalmist said these words, kind of on behalf of God, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So as you hear these words over Jesus, they're deeply like profound, like man, he's loved by God. But then if you're hearing that psalm, you're like, oh, he's not just loved by God, but he's actually the Messiah. Because the person that God says this to is the one who's going to do some stuff, is coming to make things right. And again, this happens in Isaiah. Isaiah 42, we get these words here. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. These echoes from what is said to Jesus. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. So as we hear these beautiful words spoken over Jesus, there's this, there is this beauty in a transformation as well, but they're also pointing towards like, oh, this is, again, this is the one, the Messiah, who's going to make things right. He's the one whose teachings we can put our hope in. He's the one who's going to bring forth justice, who will not falter, who will not be discouraged, and he will have the spirit. That as we hear these words over Jesus, that is what they're saying to him. And after these words, we get in verses 23 on, it says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And we get this lineage. So in the ancient world, 30 years old is kind of like, I was reading stuff, they argued whether Jesus, like how close to 30 he actually was, but 30 is kind of this age where people start their ministry life. Like that's when David became king, that's when Joseph started working for Pharaoh. Like this is kind of a significant kind of coming of age moment. And then in this, kind of, this is when he started his ministry, and then we get this genealogy that lists... I think it's 70 names that Jesus, as he begins his ministry, is not just told who he is by God, but he's grounded in a people, in a place, in a history. 
and that affirms him and I think grounds him. As I was reading this week, different commentaries on this, I was reading a British commentator and his reflection was, writing from the UK, if you want to understand this passage or other genealogies in scripture, go to New Zealand. That was what he said. He said, go to New Zealand and learn how Māori understand genealogy because they get something of how, like, the importance, the significance of being able to trace, like, this isn't just names, this is, like, this is identity, this is stories, this is, like, who you are is not just you as an individual. And even for Jesus, this is the case. It links him back to these greats of the, Christ, of the Jewish faith. But also, it actually, there's a lot of people whose names, the only place in Scripture you'll find them is in those genealogies. Like, they kind of become famous because they're great-great-grandparents of Jesus. There's this kind of redemptive thing working through this. Because there's this thing of who you are is not just your individual and what God, but it's the people you're a part of, who you kind of whakapapa back to. This matters. And you get this tragic passage where you see kind of the outworking of this in Nehemiah. So in the Old Testament, when the Jewish people are exiled, they've ran away from God, and God exiles them into Babylon. After generations later, they get freed, and they come back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, and have to reestablish the temple, put up the walls, kind of start life again. And as they do that, the important thing is, okay, who's coming back? We've kind of got this land laid out. We've got different roles in society, and each role goes to a family based on what the families have broken down generations before. So if you're coming back, what's your role of your great-great-great ancestor? Because that'll be your role now. And you get a whole bunch of people who come back saying, oh, we were part of the priestly generation. But they can't track back their genealogy. They've lost it. Being in exile, they've lost their genealogy And the response is, sorry, you can't track back your genealogy. You don't get to be a priest anymore. You've lost that. There's a sense of your connection to your whakapapa, to your genealogy for the people of God. It's connecting you back to God's promises, to who God is, to what God's given you. And Jesus is able to do that in this moment. We get this, how he's connected to the people of God that our God comes in and connects himself to his people, is incarnate not just as a man who comes down, but as birthed into a family line. That as the people of God, we're not just coming in as individuals, but we get grafted into this family line that has significance, that has promises. And as Jesus encounters, is filled by the Holy Spirit that there's this empowering of the Holy Spirit that happens in this moment. That is, before Jesus goes out on his ministry, he is filled. And in terms of us and how we seek to be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus, there's this fantastic passage in 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, which says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. We can see God clearly. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, 
who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into him, his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Through Scripture, the Holy Spirit is, can often be referred to by different names. Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of the Lord is kind of a, captures the same thing. And here we see that as we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom but we are transformed into Christ's image with ever-increasing glory. Through Scripture, through the New Testament, there's all these references of like, when you are filled by the Spirit, what happens to you? How does it transform you? What is the work that is done in your life that Jesus, I think, has at this moment of baptism? And as we receive the Holy Spirit, we can receive too. In Romans, it talks about this hope that comes as we're filled by the power of the Spirit. It speaks of being filled with love. Corinthians speaks of gifts of the Spirit, these things that actually equip us, empower us to be God's people to the world. They also speak of this fellowship that comes. Galatians speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That as we're practicing this life of wanting to be formed more and more into the image of Christ, it's not this like we're earning our way to God to do this because it just doesn't work. And if we look to Jesus as our model and our saviour, the way he did it was that he was filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit empowered him and enabled him. It, and I think it can do that for us. That we will become more loving, joyful, peaceful, kind, good, faithful people. As we practice these things, filled by the Holy Spirit, as our lives are shaped by what the Spirit is wanting to do, how the Spirit wants to move us. If In Ephesians, it talks about the Holy Spirit, and it says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the opening thing where it says, if you could bring that back up, the opening verses where it says, instead be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, it's not like a once-off, like, you get filled, it kind of, your power level rises and you're sorted. This is like, the image is this like continuous. You're not like, cool, you've reached that status. It's like, no, there's this constant filling because the spirit isn't just this like level you up. It's this relationship with the third person of the Trinity who you are constantly in relationship with, who's constantly pointing you to Jesus, who's constantly pointing you to the Father. There's this, we're invited to be filled continuously. That it's not an image of like, be filled, go out and like slowly wear down the tank and then like have another moment of being filled. I think it's this like continually, just like more the overflow image that we talk about. This continual filled, this continual ongoing relationship dynamic with our advocate, our counselor. That as we do that, the Holy Spirit will come in power changing us and transforming us. Not always in ways that we're super conscious or aware of, but I think it will always be doing a work within us. 
And I think why this is important is, and why I chose this passage rather than looking at the Acts passage where the Holy Spirit comes on the people of God is that where it looks to Jesus, but also where this, what the Spirit does with Jesus after this. Our closing verse of this passage, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That as we seek to know what it means to be followers of Jesus, what it means to live a good life, what it means to be faithful followers, there's something that Jesus models of like, you be filled by the Spirit and just follow where the Spirit leads. Trust that. Go with that. And for Jesus, it led him into the desert, into a period of 40 days of fasting and temptation. Like, that was the start of his ministry career. And I think it would o- it's only by being faithful to being filled by the Spirit that you would go that way to start. And for us, we've talked about, I talked about a couple of weeks ago, kind of reflecting on this current, what feels like this current global, cultural, social moment, where it feels like a lot of stuff is in flux, and COVID has kind of accelerated this, and it feels like a period of massive change and uncertainty. And in the midst of this, there's an opportunity to rest and rely on God that when places we'd normally put our security and our safety and our trust seem a bit like harder to grasp, institutions that's kind of like seem to be failing and critiqued all over the place. Culturally, it's like it's hard to figure out where you sit and there's an opportunity in this bit, will we be filled by the Spirit and faithful to where he's leading us? Because actually when you see these seasons of uncertainty and chaos and what is going on in Scripture, they're not dissimilar to being led into a desert season. And how did Jesus get led into, how did Jesus enter into a desert season? If, if we are entering into that individually, collectively as a society, as a world, if we are entering into a season of, season of uncertainty, a season of potential desert, how do we want to enter into that? And Jesus models, you don't just enter in and figure it out. You don't just enter into a season where you're going to be tempted, where there's not food available, and be like, we're just going to figure it out in the moment. When the temptation comes, comes, we just kind of willpower it out. How does Jesus model? He says, no, this moment where he's baptized, he's told who he is in God, he's given this genealogy, this connection to a wider story, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's the invitation, I think, for us. As we potentially, as we enter into this desert season, will we enter into it like that? Will we enter into it as people filled with the Spirit? Trusting that He will lead us through it, essentially. Because I think, I know for me, when I'm not in that space, my vision is to just like stay away from desert seasons, avoid that kind of stuff, and just kind of put the blinkers up and be oblivious. But I think if there's something of our world which is heading that way, we as followers of Christ want to enter into, if that, that's where the Spirit's leading us, let's go. Let's trust Him. Let's be filled with Him and go where He wants to take us. Because I think Luke, Luke finishes with this passage later, where in Luke 11 he says this, 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That this Holy Spirit that guides, empowers, equips, transforms Jesus is a good gift that if we ask, the Father wants to give to us. So I'm going to invite the band up this morning. And as we close, for you, as you reflect on your relationship with Christ, your journey into becoming more and more in his likeness, how would you describe your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because I think there's an invitation this morning, if you've never been filled, if it feels like, man, I've, it's been like dry, I've just kind of been soldiering on, there's an opportunity this morning for a fresh infilling. Or maybe, actually, you're like, I'm good, I've got it sorted, and I want to maybe challenge you and say, it seems like stuff's changing up, we might need this empowering more than we think. Maybe we all actually need this a bit more than we think. So, this morning, as the band leads us in a song, I want to invite We've got plenty of space up the front here. If you this morning would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come, to sit, to kneel, to stand, and welcome the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that comes and affirms, places us in a people, empowers us as we step out into the uncertain and the unknown, as our counselor, as our advocate. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you send us your Spirit. That as we come, as we ask, you faithfully give. That this morning, yeah, we want to acknowledge that we are no higher than Jesus, and Jesus himself needed, welcomed, accepted the Holy Spirit. This morning we welcome your Holy Spirit here this morning. May you come and move in our midst. We welcome the work that you want to do. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sent something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.